National Talkie League. Dave, as we near the end of this marathon, I am starting to feel exhausted. Unlike that Kenyan guy who broke the two-hour marathon under ideal conditions, I feel like my marathon has been one where I pound my head against a cinder block wall, just hoping the election will be over. That's the prize, Dave. Not that you get the government you want, just that they stop holding an election. How are you feeling? Maybe you can relay your emotions via theme song. National Talkie League, we're so tired. National Talkie League, we should be squired. National Talkie League, and they're all liars. Well put, and I will say this. If, now would be a great time for me to have someone in my life who dresses and undresses me. I, I, <sighs> I can't think of a better time to be squired. Oh, just think about it, those days when you're like, I don't really feel like driving to work today. Squire, <laughs> you drive. Wait, I have a I have a teenage son. I pretty much have that squire now. I like it. Hey, what does the uh, Esquire, the ESQ um appendage on one's name mean? Is that is it related? Uh I should look that up. I'm not sure about the etymology. I think it's isn't it usually used for for lawyers, Esquire? Well, I don't know, but but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because lawyers can be a bit douchey and Esquire seems like a pretty douchey handle. <laughs> so it might not mean that there's some something to do with being called to the bar and having Esquire at the end of your name. It might just mean that they collectively are douchey. That's entirely possible. I'm not uh, except gonna... for my lawyer, who's not douchey at all. Just uh, in the rare event that he hears this, <laughs> my lawyer uh, is ancient. Is the only thing I can think to say of him. He is ancient. Right. But you should ask him. He might actually know the answer to the Esquire question. That's true. I believe it is an old E English term. That is true. I think you're right. I My gut says it has something to do that you put Esquire at the end of your name if you are a, a lawyer or a barrister, I guess you'd be called over there. Right. But I don't know that for sure. And I could be wrong. And I am willing to admit that. And that's what makes me lovely. <laughs> Among many other things, Dave Ware. Um, so yeah, I, this has been like, it, this seems to me, it's been an election about nothing, particularly in the context of like what else is happening in the world, right? You've got Boris, uh, uh, I was going to say Yeltsin, which you got Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson, who apparently has now struck a deal with the EU for a Brexit, but like there was all the gamesmanship going on over there and the turmoil. You've got Trump who has now. Like mo normally politicians try to hide shady dealings, but this guy's now like mm -hmm. basically written a, a, an open letter to the New York Times to say, <laughs> I'm renting out my golf resort to the G7 conference, which is insane. Uh, I've been reading about the, I don't know if you've read about the, uh, so, so now the, the investigation into the, the Ukraine business uh, is now also being centered on, on Rudy Giuliani who is the, uh, the president's lawyer, former mayor of New York, Seinfeld guest, uh, and uh, the four lawyers that were making up his business, basically. And uh, uh, all four of those lawyers have now been arrested. Right. So I'm not sure what's going to happen to Rudy, but it was great because like the one guy, they, the, uh, the two of the guys, they caught him at the airport. They're getting ready to fly to Vienna probably for the last time. <laughs> uh, and then another guy thought he'd be smart and instead of flying directly international he took a domestic flight first oh. um but they also caught him so it didn't work at all um yeah it must be tricky to flee these days 
right? Because your name comes up everywhere. If you're on the no-fly list, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about the uh, the difficulties in flight now. But, I mean, it's like it's, it surprises me that these people aren't so connected. They couldn't find their way out of the country, right? That they couldn't, you know, figure yeah, out how to yeah. get under the radar. Yeah, why are they not flying private planes? This is my thought because that's probably a lot easier, right? You just sort of don't put that guy's name on the manifest in return for – you know, big envelope yeah, full right. of money. Um, but then, you know, the, the kind of the point I'm getting to is that what what's going on up here in little old Canada that's so, like, I don't know, man. I, I just sort of feel like the only the only cause that this uh, uh, election serves for me is the elimination of Justin Trudeau, which I think is imminent. I think that he'll be – I think that he won't um, – I, I'm ready to make a prediction, by the way, but I think that oh. that after this election, Trudeau will have to step down and they'll call for his head on a platter. Um, because I think that, you know, once the party diminishes a little bit, the knives come out, they start thinking about success, uh, s- yeah, succession planning and they try to uh, point fingers. But you can't lose ground as the leader of a party. Um, you know, it's, it's intolerable in this day and age. Yeah. If you go from a majority to a minority position, that's, that says a whole lot, I think. Um, you know who I like in this, uh, in this election the most so far hmm. is, uh, is Jagmeet Singh, as dumb as that sounds. Um, I like the fact that he's sort of, uh, he's got the bit between his teeth. He's, he's recognized that he can make an argument against a strategic voting. And he also, I think, recognizes that if the polls keep shifting just a little bit more towards his party, then he can convince all those ABCers, the anybody but conservative mm-hmm. voters, that maybe his party is the stronger vote. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, he's, I, I think he's playing it really well from that perspective. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think that's largely correct. But I, I think that Jagmeet Singh's best outcome here is that he holds the balance of power, right? That somebody, oh, sure. That, for sure. Yeah, that the, that – uh, Trudeau can form a um, that, that that at the end of this election the conservatives can win a minority government, and that Trudeau and Singh can go to the uh, governor general and say we can govern together, and then the gov- the government will basically be the liberals, and uh, Jagmeet Singh gets to approve everything. So that's the best outcome for him, and that's the outcome that I think is about to happen. Um, but if I were Jagmeet Singh, the first order of business would be to get rid of Justin Trudeau um, and then play a bit, of, play the role of kingmaker. And you basically, you know, you, you do it for two reasons. One, because uh, you, you want the liberals to have to elect a leader who can be the most cooperative with the NDP uh, to benefit Singh. That's reason one why he wants to do it. But reason two is he's going to need his party to get their ducks in a row. And they'll need the liberal leadership campaign time in order to pull that off. So they're going to have to have some stalling tactics in there. But uh, yeah, that's that's exactly where I think this country's headed. I think it's headed in the direction of of uh, um, sheer winning a minority government and then being frustrated by the progressives. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and the only group that could help them out would be the block. And I don't think the block have been particularly uh, forthcoming with uh, with offering that support up to him either. So. Uh, whereas in the past that might've been sort of a no brainer. Um, it's so funny though, too, like to, just to read the, the crap on the web, right? People are like, Oh, if Andrew Shear wins, he's gonna, he's gonna tear apart everything our society stands for. He's gonna rip open the debate on abortion. And I'm like, guys, 
Andrew Shear could barely rip open a, a freaking Ziploc bag, as far <laughs> as I could tell. <laughs> it's, it's so funny, right? Like, every conservative leader is the devil. He's the worst. He's, oh, this guy's got no moral compass whatsoever. He's a D. De- and I'm just like, oh, it's, it, you know, it, it generally rings false anyway. But, but someone like Shear, who is so, so beige, so milk toast, so bland that it's, you can't make that stuff stick because, because you just look at him and you go, yeah, no one's afraid of that. Yeah, exactly. No, but- and you know, that kind of, that kind of progressive rhetoric doesn't do them any favors either, right? Like they're not demanding much when they threaten that. Um, it's really, really simple. Like Stephen Harper never reopened the abortion debate, right? And 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 they right. said he would forever, and he never did. Right? He right. vowed not to, and he didn't do right. it. You know, sure, it's going to be the exact same thing. You know, conservatives understand where the third rails are. There are certain things that they can't do. They'd love to privatize healthcare. I'm sure of it. They won't do it. Um, they understand that that's just not a, that's the third rail, right? It's something that you can't touch. So the the problem that the, the progressives are creating for themselves in constantly saying this, like, "Hey, be careful, don't vote conservative." They're going to reopen the abortion the abortion debate, is that they're setting the bar super low because all the conservatives have to do is not reopen the abortion debate, and then nobody in that squishy middle will be afraid of them, and they're going to do that anyway. So right. what conserv- what the progressives need to do rather when they want to attack conservatives is set the bar way higher. And warn people about things that they actually might do that will actually corrupt the fabric of, you know, the, the social fabric of our country. Mm-hmm. I don't know what these things are, but if they continue with this stuff about how like, hey, there's, you know, monsters under the bed, boogeyman in the closet, people are pretty wise to that. And they're like, no, that hasn't proven to be true. You know, go fuck yourself. Yeah. No, I think you're 100% on about that. Uh, I read something interesting the other day, too. Someone made a really good point. They were talking about how, oh, we can't elect a conservative government because they're going to – the first thing they're going to do is they're going to give us an austerity budget. And this this person <laughs> said, oh, it's interesting that you know after 10 years of uh, you know the economy that we've had, uh, a budget that will likely come in with like a $20 billion deficit is considered to be an austerity budget? Like <laughs> – like get your head out of your ass. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Any cutback now is considered to be austerity. You can't touch anything. Anything the other party does, if you if you remove even the slightest bit of budget, that's austerity, right? Mm-hmm. We should we should just spend, just keep spending, spend all the money. No one cares, right? Yeah, and it's uh, you know we live in dangerous times, right? Like, yeah, <clears throat> you know the the whole thing about. Um, capital gains tax on your primary residence, on the sale of your primary residence. So that was, you know, the conservatives tried to, to fear monger on that one. And the liberals said, no, 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 you know, that wasn't, uh, uh, that wasn't like a policy concept. That was really just an idea that came up in a, in a round table meeting and it was included in a memo and blah, blah, blah. So like, I be- I'm willing to take the, the liberals at face value on this, that that's not actually something that uh, the liberals have in mind to implement as policy. However, it is something that they've talked about. And the problem is, is that if you have a meeting in 2019 and you come up with 10 ideas and you implement three of them, those other seven ideas don't go away forever. They come back in the next meeting to see if they're viable this time. So my problem is not that... that um, uh, you know, the capital gains tax on the sale of your primary residence is uh, uh, going to happen in the year 2020. My problem is that it might happen in 2024 if these guys are allowed to continue on. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, we all know that there's never an end to the number of new taxes 
that a government can come up with. And some would argue that we're undertaxed as Albertans or what have you. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I it just feels like everything you turn around and touch, there's some kind of tax being dropped upon it. And I guess I would feel better about that if I thought that the money was being spent well. That's That's always been my position mm-hmm. on taxation, right? I don't mind paying taxes if it gets the roads fixed, I don't mind paying taxes. If it, if the schools are good and the fire stations are, are maintained, but I really resent paying a lot of taxes and then finding out that the government's been just throwing money away left, right, and center, or, you know, funneling it to their buddies, whichever party happens to be in charge. It always ends up in somebody's pocket. And that's the part that pisses me off. Yeah. I guess, you know, I don't know how, what my angle on it is anymore. I mean, I don't have kids that go to school and I don't use a hospital much, but I, certainly think these are important parts of our society and you know to the to the best of my knowledge our schools are good our hospitals are great you know i wish there was less construction but hey i get it or like everybody's going to complain about that but we got to keep building and stuff i guess the, the real issue that i have is is how um taxation affects you know the the income mobility of society as opposed to the infrastructure that's out there for us right we all want to have a social safety net and, and, you know, social services. Of course, I get that. But what my problem is, is that when people are willing to trade 10 years of like really high prosperous growth in a particular industry so that we can build an overpass or so that we can, you know, build a, a school in this neighborhood, that's what my comparison is. So, you know, somebody asked me like, well, don't you want to have, you know, the best, the world's best schools? And don't you want to build new schools to accommodate Calgarians? My answer is always, well, compared to what? Like, what's the other option? Right. What are you asking me? Do I want yeah. that? Or what's what's behind yeah, door number sure. two? Uh, yeah, I know it's always interesting, too, because anytime I get into a discussion with, with someone that's further on the left about the concept of taxes, and uh, they always get into this idea that, you know, oh, the government should spend right now. Spend your way out of a out of the deficits and spend your way out of a recession. And there might be some wisdom to that. But the part they never, ever bring up is uh, – you know, what it costs to, to, to pay that debt off or to maintain that debt, right? The more money you borrow, the more you have to pay, you know, just to, just to cover your interest on that particular debt. And that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you're spending a lot of your money doing it. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, look at how much money Ontario pays to service their debt, right? Yeah. Like it's it's almost the size of Alberta's budget. And don't quote me on that, but it's, you know, the, the, the analogy is meant to shock you. Yeah. Right. It's a huge yeah. Thing. Um, I mean, you know, and people say, well, you can't treat it the same way as your household. It's not the same thing. But in some ways it should be, right? You try not to vastly outspend what you're taking in. Sometimes you need to outspend what you're taking in and that makes sense. And if it's going to keep people, you know, employed and healthy, then you do those kind of things. But I don't think it should be your goal. Well, I don't think the goal should be to outspend how much you're making every single budget. I okay, I agree with you in principle, but I want to I want to go ahead and and explore this a little bit because I, I think that the you know credit card analogy or the or the mortgage analogy when you know people try and connect it to government is is like a bit of a populist maneuver that is sort of meant to just sort of you know try and compare government debt to something other people might have a frame of reference for. But here's the thing: is that. Uh, I could borrow the equity from my home on a home equity line of credit at prime plus half a percent, 
say, or prime plus 1.15 or whatever it is, right? So for me right now, I know that I could take out all the equity on my house and my interest rate would be 4.45%. Now, if I could invest that in a stock that paid 5% dividend every year, then I would gladly take out all of that debt, knowing that I could write off the interest as an, uh, as an investment and that uh, I would be making more money in dividends that I could then use to pay off the interest and pay down the principal. And at the end of about 25 years of doing this, then I would have a whole bunch of cash that I didn't have to do anything to earn. So if the government is in a position where they say, look, guys, we can spend $2 billion today, and it, the, the effect of that spending will put our country in a net benefit position of $10 billion per year starting in the year 2038. Then I would look at it and go, that's a hell of an investment. You know, what are we waiting for? And can we invest $4 billion today so that we can double the outcome on the other end? However, that's not how government spending works. What you've got, this was my biggest criticism of Trudeau in 2015 was he was talking about going into debt for the sake of going into debt, that Canadians need money to be spent on this country, that, that, that taxpayers deserve to have spending on infrastructure, spending on all sorts of things. And it really didn't matter what it was, just as long as that money went out the door. And that was like round two of the exact same sentiment back in the financial crisis when Harper's government delivered that financial statement and it was you know pretty clean and pretty straightforward and honest and said, hey, man, we're facing some headwinds. Times are pretty tough. And it was a minority government and the liberals and Jack Layton and the NDP decided that, no, we're going to force an election. And Harper ended up winning the government again. And all they wanted, all the liberals and all the NDP wanted was for there to be this, this deficit spending for the sake of having deficit spending. And that is bullshit. That's the kind of mentality that cripples the country. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're on the same page here. I think I agree with all that. Um, how could you not, Dave? How could you not? I could. I, I'd be too much of a coward to uh, to take all of the equity out of my house, though. I just I don't <laughs> think I could do it. I'm, I'm not that brave. And that's why I'll never be rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, you're wealthy beyond belief, my friend. That's true. If I could get paid in smarminess, I would be a billionaire. <laughs> uh, all right, so... Well, I was. What, what have you got? I, would, I was going to move on to some local issues or some other uh, you know, Obama piping up about the. Yeah, election. I was going to do some uh, some housekeeping on the beleaguered talkies group. Oh yeah, yeah, hit it up. So uh, yeah, our regular listeners will know that we have a Facebook group called the Beleaguered Talkies, uh, which is a now it's called a private group. It didn't used to be called that, but uh, all that they means just changed. Yeah, the, yeah, Facebook changed the name for it. So all that means is that you have to ask to be allowed to be in the group, uh, as long as you're not a bot of some kind we will allow you in the group as long as you <laughs> behave yourself um so if you'd like to do that please do that uh anyway some business from last week we had a poll as to whether or not Qu quebec should go fuck itself <laughs> and uh it was unanimous that they should right. every every single vote said yes quebec should go fuck itself do, do you feel bad at all about uh you know hammering on quebec like this does it ever get to you no, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm from there, but we moved when I was five, so I'm not really from there. Uh, really no, from I don't. There. Yeah, really I think I probably there. just have a. Sorry. No, you are from. I mean, there. I am, <laughs> but if someone, yes, but if someone wrote on my Wikipedia page, you know, this guy is a Quebecer, I would edit that. I would say he was born in Quebec, but he's an Albertan. I don't. I don't think of myself as 
being a Quebecer. I would never call myself. Uh, I would. I would. And actually, uh, A, I didn't know you had a Wikipedia page. I don't. B, I'm going to go edit it. <laughs> uh, we're going to create one now. And it's really, it's just going to be about your ties to Quebec. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think it all comes, it all stems from my dad who, uh, who moved my family away from Quebec because of the uh, issues he ran into when he was trying to move up the corporate ladder. And uh, being an Anglo, uh, I mean, bilingual, but still an Anglo in Quebec, he, uh, he just couldn't get any further ahead. So he moved the family out of there. And he has nothing but terrible things to say about Quebec to this day. So that's probably what it is. It's probably just that, you know, dad voted conservative, so so do you kind of thing. <laughs> dad hates Quebec, so do you. Um. Yeah. Okay. So we did that poll. And then Adam, I think I haven't seen much posted from Adam. I'm not sure if Adam's new or not, but Adam had a great question. I don't know if you saw this one, Roger. So he asked, he says, uh, I'll set it up for everybody here. You're at the Flames game, sitting in seats with no cup holder. I don't think I've ever sat in a seat with a cup holder. Uh, Someone has to walk over you to get to their seat. Who's responsible for not spilling your beer? You or the person walking over you to get to their seat? Where's the beer? That was that's what Eric, the very first comment said. Where's the beer? Is it on the ground or is it in your hand? So so give me each. What if it's on the ground? It's your fault for putting your beer on the ground. Absolutely. Again, exactly what Eric said. Okay. And if it's in your if it's in your hand, guys, got to be careful. You you gotta see the thing about like the thing about the hockey game is that the hazards around us are people are holding open containers of beer, and you have a social responsibility to the collective to not endanger other people's beer, right? But if they're going to leave their beer on the ground, then that beer is going to get kicked over. So uh, it's just you're begging to have your beer kicked over. So that the the fault is entirely upon you. But I don't know, man, if, if he was holding the beer and uh, somebody nudged him and spilt the beer, that's a major foul and guys should make it up to him somehow. It's yeah, you're you're echoing exactly what the the talkies had to say on this one. Uh, I think you're right. I think I think that's a pretty quintessentially Canadian um you know, curiosity, right? And, and and I think that that 150 plus years of us living together has sorted that one out. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> you're bang on. Uh, and the only thing I'd add is uh, they need some kind of sippy cup system, right? You need some lids that you can that, that that don't spill. I thought they had that for a little bit there. That that would maybe be smart. I would think maybe Scott had a Scott Obrey had a great quote too. He said, "Like with children, you're responsible for the well-being of your loved ones." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really like beer. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay, so and so since we're on the uh, the talky stuff, so this kind of folds into what we wanted to talk about next. And the big question, uh, Eric had posted the quote from uh, Barack Obama. Of course, earlier this this week, uh, Barack Obama basically uh, endorsed. Justin Trudeau. His quote was, uh, I was proud to work with Justin Trudeau. Trudeau is president, which is a weird sentence because Obama is the president, but he's talking about Justin Trudeau. Anyways, I have issues with that. Uh, it could be clear. <laughs> he's a hardworking, effective leader who likes to take on big issues like climate change. The world needs his progressive leadership now, and I hope that our neighbors to the north support him for another term. And so the question that Eric was asking was like, like is, this, is this weird? Is this okay? And uh, so, so tell me, Roger, is this weird? Is well, this okay? I don't think it is. Okay. Um, I think that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of like unwritten rules for, um, for presidents and past presidents. Um, and one of them is that you don't criticize the new guy. Right. Um, and, and 
Obama has kind of towed that line if he hasn't kind of inched his toe over that line once or twice with with Trump. Um, and I'm reminded too. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're going to give him a pass on that one though, because Trump is a fucking you know, dumpster yeah, fire. Yeah, it's right? not. So. You don't give him a pass though, because it's a fraternity, right? Because because Trump also being a dump the dumpster fire doesn't mean I can just dismiss him when he starts criticizing whoever the next uh, president happens to be. Though I'll do that, but I mean, like, yeah, of course yeah, you will. But yeah. I I I think it's uncool. I think that you've got to kind of play by the rules when you're in that that sort of elite group, if you will. There's another right, rule okay. that America has in place where, um, and I, so, you know, I, I, I would hope, I think Laura can enlighten us on this and maybe she'll comment on the beleaguered Facebook page. Cause I know she's really attuned to, um, international affairs more so than I am, but it has something to do with not hosting a, an Israeli politician during an election. And I think it came up when Netanyahu visited the United States and addressed Congress during an election time. Um, so, all of this to say that I think that America has largely, uh, the, the executive in America, rather, has largely taken this position that we just sort of butt out of other people's elections. Now, nothing will stop them from going in, bombing a country, and installing whatever kind of government they want. But as far as tweeting about who should be the leader, that's verboten. Yeah, I think I think you're not wrong. Um, and, 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 and technically, it's not, you know, it's it's not uh, you know actionable or anything like that. He's not breaking any any Canadian rules. I think the only the rule that someone had cited was that only if you're being if you're being uh, paid or compensated in some way, then it becomes illegal. But no one's saying that it's illegal. It's just you know is it, it's just not cricket. I think that's kind of what we were getting at. Uh, and this this kind of leads into the big question too. And so mm-hmm. I guess the big question this week is uh, is it. Uh, is it okay for all of these foreign interests to be giving opinions about our election? I guess that's how I would phrase it. Um, cause we had the, the thing with Obama and, uh, you know, and Eric's, Eric's right. Eric was saying, what if George Bush had, uh, had endorsed Sheer? right? The, the liberals would be like falling all over themselves to, to castigate that. I'm going to throw that word in there, castigate that. Um, you know, and they're not wrong. Um, and so the other the other example that I came up with this week was this whole thing with uh, with Greta Thunberg. You're familiar with with Greta Thunberg, are you, Roger? A hundred percent. Yeah. So this is the 16 year old Swedish girl who has been uh, uh, setting the world afire with her her campaign against uh, the deniers of climate change. I guess that's how I'd phrase that, or her uh, advocation for change in the way we deal with the climate change. She took a boat across the ocean to come to America and then decided, I guess the idea was she was heading up to Edmonton to march in a climate change march, which I think happens tomorrow, maybe. Anyways, so there was all kinds of, you know, issues and people and the, you know, the environment minister was tweeting about her or at her, that kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting because what happens when people start talking about about this person, I'm going to call her a person for now, because she is, um, start talking about this person, what happens is so someone on the right will say, well, you know, this person should go back and, and deal with her own whatever, or, you know, there's a there's some discussion that maybe she's being financed by someone and, you know, who the hell can afford to take a boat across the, uh, <laughs> across the Atlantic, a yacht of some kind. 
um, regardless of any of that, what what gets me the most, what burns me is that they'll say, uh, you know, oh, these conservatives are so threatened by this 16 year old girl or when someone says something, you know, to, you know, snippy towards her. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes you feel a big man to be yelling at a 16 year old girl. And the part that bothers me about all this is that for all their, you know, talk about how progressive and forward thinking and woke they are, they can't help but trip over the fact that she's one, 16 years old and two, a girl. And I would have thought we were past, you know, gender stereotyping people. Why are we talking about the fact that she's a girl? What, like, does her vagina have anything to do with this? If not, shut up about it, right? So she's a person. She's a young person, admittedly. But my thought is this, that you can't, you can't involve yourself in this debate. You can't throw yourself in the fight willingly and then cower and run away and say, oh, you can't hit me. I'm just a 16-year-old girl. Well, I'm sorry. You're the one who jumped in the ring here. I mean, admittedly, there's there's a limit here as long as you're not you know, physically or, or threatening or anything like that. But if we're talking about tweeting at someone, hell yeah. She's chosen this role. She has jumped into this role willingly. She has come out and said, I am a climate you know, warrior, basically. And I'm sorry, but once you step on the battlefield, you don't have an age anymore. You don't have a gender anymore. You're just on the battlefield. So you're going to take your lumps like everybody else. I think that's well put, man. Like, if you take the stage, you know, some, someone's going to throw a tomato from time to time. Yeah. And I'm not even I'm not even saying she's she's right or wrong. I mean, I'm not I'm not even advocating for one side or the other. All I'm saying is if we're having this discussion, you can't you can't say, oh, you can't you can't disagree with her. Otherwise, you're just a scared old white person. You're scared of this poor 16 year old girl because that's bullshit. That's what I'm calling bullshit on here is is that kind of uh, uh, discussion. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, you got to argue on her on, on the merits of, of what she's talking about. But, you know, there's there's a few things that bother me about about this young uh, young lady, as though that matters. Um, there's a few things that bother me. One is, I mean, I remember being that age. Are, are her parents ridiculously wealthy? Like, because I wasn't really allowed to go to like, I could go to like one summer camp every other year. That's how much money we had growing <laughs> up. And this chick's on a world tour. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I guess I'm basically saying there's some money behind her. And if the money is not coming from her, the fantastic wealth of her parents who obviously earned all that money in a completely carbon neutral fashion, then I wonder who she's working for. Um, because I think this is kind of, you know, a, a new uh, frontier of influence or a new frontier of activism, which is to let kids carry the water. Right. I mean, you know, when celebrities were doing it for a while and we got kind of dismissive of celebrities and, um, you know, the, it's, when you put, when you trot kids out, they get, it gets a great response. Like who does better for child literacy, Angelina Jolie or Malala? Yeah. Right. That's a really good point. Right. So, you know, you're putting this kid up in front of who's got unbridled access to politicians mm-hmm. in the United Nations and shit like that. And she's basically going to carry this message of you guys aren't doing enough for climate change. Well, it's just going to land a lot better. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm 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 pretty cynical about her cause. I'm I'm not entirely convinced this was an all her idea. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, think back to when you were 16, Roger, and think about 16 year olds in general. Oh yeah. All right. No, oh, hey, easy now. No, uh, I was trying to bone <laughs> climate change into extinction, man. <laughs> I was just trying to feel girls up to lower the Earth's temperature. That's all I cared about. Is your uh, when you think about the 
you know, the, uh, the advocacy and the thought processes of a 16 year old, would you agree that 16 year olds in general are very passionate and very willing to, uh, to, to fight for an idea that they've had? Would you say that that's in general true? I was going to say like, like 16 year olds could be very, I was going to like by and large, no, <laughs> but like of anybody who's going to get fired up about something like, yeah, we have to change this thing. Young people tend to do that, right? They get some, they get some animus. Behind sure. Fair enough. There was always that one annoying kid in your school. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, you know, and for sure, they're the ones who are going to get out there and march about something because they get to skip class. That's part of it for sure. <laughs> Exactly. But I guess on the flip side of that coin, when you think of 16-year-olds, and then I throw these words at you, uh, a discourse, uh, deep thought, and consequences. Are those things that you connect with 16-year-olds as well, right? Like, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, she is very fired up about it. But at the same time, do we know that she's really thought all of this through? Like 16-year-olds aren't exactly known for, for having, you know, thought the entire issue all the way through, right? In general, they're the ones who will get fired up. And then when you explain to them the reason you can't do something, they're like, uh, uh, oh, no, I didn't think about it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, have, have, have you tested your position and have you lived with it long enough? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't blame her though. See, the problem for me in all this is that I don't want to take anything away from her. I, I, I think that the message is somewhat disingenuous because I believe that she's being financed um, by, by people who have that special interest. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that it's dangerous for us to, to entertain a, a foreign teenager coming to our country and telling us how to run our business. Well, and again, that's a, that's a good point. That brings us back to what we're talking about, right? So this is a, whether she's being, you know, funded, if she is in fact being funded by someone else, isn't that then exactly what we're talking about? A foreign interest aiming to affect our election by having this young person kind of roll through a week before the election. I just started to Google who is funding and it auto-completed Greta. So I don't Google's <laughs> listening to this conversation or uh, a lot of people. Or are you're not the first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and of course, that's the immediate question these days, right? No one can just do anything for the sake of doing something. It's all, there's money somewhere. Right. Does it say, does it say George Soros? I bet you that's on there somewhere. Oh, well, here, let's just Google that. Greta Soros. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people have searched it. Greta's Soros connection. Yeah, I bet Not you. a lot of people know that. Uh, oh, that's funny. There's like a couple of free blogs. Do photos show Greta Thunberg and George Soros on uh, Snopes.com? Uh, here, let's see if that's fake. I bet that's fake. All right. And I was going to say too that I, I honestly don't know. She may have thought this thing through very well. I don't. I know almost nothing no, about her. No, but you're supposed to ask or... Like that's. I think your point is very yeah. well made. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I don't, I don't have any problem. The people on Reddit were like, oh, Albertans are going to be losing their minds when they find out that she's marching in the climate change. I was like, no, 97% of Albertans uh, will say who? <laughs> and then the ones that do have heard of her are going to say, yeah, so? <laughs> and only those of you on Reddit will actually feel like there's any sort of, you know, it's like it's like the popular girls like oh my god everybody's gonna freak out oh they're just gonna lose their shit you guys so what's your prediction then for, for monday night <laughs> sorry that voice made me cough yeah that's it was because i did that voice uh, my prediction for monday night 
Uh, we're going to have a minority government. Um, I think, oh, I yeah. think the liberals are going to edge it by a couple seats. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. That's just my gut. Uh, I know they've been polling very close and, uh, I think we haven't seen that last final little swing yet. Uh, I think the liberals are going to edge it. I think, as you said, they're probably going to form a minority government with the help of the NDP and maybe the green party. And, uh, I don't know. That's yeah. That's how I feel things are going to go. What's yours? And the only interesting thing for me is the is the and is the uh, Green Party um, vote total. How, how much how much vote they capture? I still don't think they'll be they'll impact anything, but I'll be interested to see. If yeah, you know what? I think they were getting a lot of press earlier on in the campaign cycle, but I think it was because the NDP was so you know so far out of the picture, and I think as after the you know blackface issue came up and the fact that the the Quebec uh, the Quebec totals have changed the bloc has gained more ground there the Liberals have lost more seats so now what the Liberals' biggest strategy right now is to convince people not to vote for the NDP because they need yeah. all of those seats yeah so I think the NDP has gotten stronger as a result of that and I think the people who are on the left who are fed up with Trudeau and don't like the fact that he didn't you know follow the the uh, uh, electoral change enough and the other stuff that he hasn't followed up on. I think those people are more likely to vote NDP. I think they might've said a few weeks ago that they would rather vote green, but I think you're right. I think there's not going to be few, if any seats, you know, Elizabeth may will win her seat. They might get one or two others. Who knows? Maybe BC will throw a couple greens in there. Really? Interesting. Interesting. No, you don't think so? Well, I just, I don't think that, I don't think that people see – how do I phrase this? Because pe- no one thinks the Greens are going to form government. So voting for the Green Party – Guys, the, the Greens aren't going to form <laughs> government. That's how, you, that's how you phrase it, Roger. No, but they're not going to – no one thinks they're going to form the government. And so voting Green is kind of like an activist vote, right? But if you're going to cast an activist vote, then who are you trying to punish with your activist vote? Now, if it's a conservative government, you can go ahead and vote for the Green Party and you're, you're sending a message. But if you're kind of fisting the liberals and, ha- and doing a favor to Andrew Scheer by voting for the Green Party, then I think you're less likely to cast that activist vote. So I think all the Green Party votes are going to be from people who really legitimately think that that's a viable political party to vote for, like their heart's in it. So but I don't think anybody who's going to vote with an activist bent is going to vote for the Green Party this time around. So are you saying that uh, if you're if you were a, uh, a liberal voter before, but you're pissed off, uh, you're more likely to go NDP? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, maybe, but you're probably still willing to vote liberal just to keep, you know, just to keep the the party you prefer in. I mean, I, I don't really know. I don't know what it's like on that side this time around, right? Because I just <laughs> I, I I look at it as. A minority government is entirely likely. A, a minority sheer government is in play. So yep. you kind of have to think that your vote counts. And if, if you think your vote counts, you might have to plug your nose, um, you know, and, so, and do the right thing for your for your country or for your cause. Right. And that's the other possibility is that the left in general decides to strategically vote regardless of what we've been talking about. And the liberals actually pull out more seats as a result at the expense yeah. of the NDP. I think it'd be great if everyone just tried to strategically vote for the Christian Heritage Party and they won some seats. I think that'd be still funny. <laughs> what about Maxime? Is he going to win his seat? Uh, no. 
No, no seats for the party for the PPC. I don't think so. I, I, I don't think, I don't think he'll win. I don't think they'll win. I think he's too, I don't know, man. It's I, in so many ways to me, he quit politics when he decided to go through this charade. And and I know that if you listen back that I was kind of bullish on Max and Bernier, I like him, but th- th- it has not worked out very well for him. No, um, and I, I think you're 100 percent right. Yeah, and I think for voters in that riding, it's just sort of like, do I want to have the fringe candidate? Like, do I? It was good to elect Max and Bernier when he was a cabinet minister, but like, do, does he have the same impact when he's just sitting in the corner of the room, shouting and waving his fist around, and nobody talks to him? Like, it's not worth electing. Him, right? <laughs> does uh, Does Ralph Goodale keep his seat? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah think so yeah i mean saskatchewan will say yeah those guys like there's some of those old guys that have served their constituents well you know it's kind of like remember how kenny um didn't campaign in alberta the last time around and he won 75 percent of his votes or something like that it's like goodale's one of those guys who doesn't have to pound the pavement in regina to win his seat right uh can't hair uh sayonara can't hair yeah no i think you're right and it looked like for a while uh, my kid's school is over in his, uh, his riding and, uh, there's a lot of liberal signs up there. Not as many the last couple of weeks. It seems like some of them have come down, but, uh, I, I honestly can't see him winning. Honestly. Uh, Edmonton might keep a couple conservative or, uh, sorry, NDP or liberal seats. Pardon me. Um, do you think that's going to happen or does, uh, Alberta go completely no, I don't blue, think it goes completely which is what blue, but I think it's say. maybe save for one or two seats, maybe. I think that sounds right. And then uh, the block, are they going to hold all the seats that they claim to, uh, or the, the polling says you know, they I, have I've right now? I've never, ever guessed correctly on the block, so I'm not going to try to this time around. Oh, I'm God. always just astonished that people are willing to, you know, vote for the dickhead party. Well, you know, you know my feelings about the block uh, and uh, <laughs> and Quebec and how people at Quebec vote. You, you already, we don't have to go over that ground again. We've already covered that. I think there's a poll for that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, I always find elections interesting to follow. I love, you know, watching the polls, regardless of whether they turn out to mean anything after the fact. But just that whole, like, I I will never forget the the season leading up to... to uh, uh, Obama's second term and, and just looking at all the stats online and which way the voting was going and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm a bit of a election stats junkie mm-hmm. in that regard. And this one's been interesting because it has kind of loosened and tightened and went from a very clear, you know, solution to at one point, it was like a third chance that this is going to happen a third chance that's going to happen. And now it looks like, like we're talking right now here, you know, the elections on Monday and we can't, declaratively say oh yes this party is absolutely going to be the one that wins the minority it's that close it's a coin flip so mm-hmm. that's that's got to be interesting uh it's got to be good for for the people in bc who can cast their vote without knowing who's won yet that's kind of interesting yeah i mean the interesting thing too is last time around remember the maritimes uh went all red and we kind of got this really early sense as soon as the broadcast began that that uh the liberals were on their way to a majority because of how well they had done out out east so I don't know, man. Like, we'll, we'll see. This has just been, I, I think this has been like almost a non-election in so many ways, but uh, it'll be a pretty fun outcome. And, and um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to, to podcast next week in the, in the wake of it. Yeah. So um, 
we're still sort of making our plan, so don't take any of this as verbatim, but I believe our plan is to uh, is for Roger and I to get together and watch some election results come in and maybe uh, do a like a live podcast. Uh, maybe we'll do a Facebook live thing if we could figure out how to get it all working and we'll go sit in the pub and we'll raise a pint and we'll talk about the election. And hopefully if that all works out, you can listen to it. Yeah, yeah and we'll go ahead and we'll put that up on the uh, Believer Talkies Facebook group too so you can join yeah. us if you want to do that. It'd be pretty fun to have some other people at the table and we could get some some insight from you as it's all coming down. Um, Dave, my clip is empty and, uh, we're going to wrap this uh, episode of the national talkie league up, but uh, I just wanted to make a really quick obligatory Trevor tomb reference <laughs> over to you. T daddy. We love you. Uh, yeah, that's, that brings us to the end. And as Roger said, his clip is empty as is mine. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we had a little bit of an issue with our iTunes, uh, feed in that it was no longer itunes was no longer recognizing it so i think i've got that all fixed up now and uh, when the last time i went to look it was on there so hopefully you guys it shouldn't be a problem if you're already subscribed to it you should have been just getting it regularly if you're a newcomer to us you can find us on itunes or google play uh and uh, subscribe to us there and that way you can get the new episodes as they come out uh and thank you guys so much for listening it's always great to uh, be able to share what we're talking about and, uh, and hopefully you get a laugh or two out of the deal so uh, back to you, Roger. All right. Have a great sports weekend.